And open your Bibles, if you would, to Exodus chapter 2. If you're using the Pew Bible, you can find it on page 45. You know, one question that Christians and non-Christians alike often wrestle with is that if God is such a loving God, and if He really is all-powerful and all-sovereign, and if He really could fix anything that He wanted to fix, then why doesn't He? And you know, that's actually a really good question. And it's, it's one that ought to be taken seriously. Because, I mean, think about it. There are wars and there are mass shootings and disasters and, and so on. The list is endless. And it's reasonable for someone to ask, God, why are you allowing this? Why are you not fixing this? Because that's something that we might expect from a loving, sovereign God. And that list of troubles in our lives goes on from there. And it can be far more personal. I know some of you are experiencing difficult times in your lives now, or, or many of us have in the past. And in the, the midst of those trials, you've prayed, and you've prayed. You've prayed for a very long time, and yet it seems that your prayers have gone unanswered. And we might be tempted to say, God, where are you? Don't you care, God? Are you even really there? And in response to questions like that, our faith can be shaken. Or we might be tempted to not turn towards this God at all in the first place. And that's why we need a passage of Scripture like the one that we have before us this morning. Because this passage is going to push back against what expectations we might have of God or what we might think is the right way for him to deal with the situation. And this passage that we'll look at today will show us that God is always at work. God is always at work in the world and in our lives. And He's at work in ways that we can't imagine and that we'd never expect. Our passage today again is Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Let's turn our attention again to the reading of God's holy, living, and inerrant word. We read, Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. Remember what Amy had read earlier. This child they were commanded to murder upon seeing that it was a boy. But instead they hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. And she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. 
Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, while her young women walked besides the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. And she took pity on him. And she said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from among the Hebrew women to nurse this child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me. And I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter. And she became her son. She named him Moses. Because she said, I drew him out of the water. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is God's word for you today. The grass may wither and the flower may fade, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. Please pray with me. Lord God, we come to you this day in need of your help. Lord, show us that you are the God who helps us. Show us that you're an active God. Lord, show us how you're at work on behalf of your people and your purposes at all times. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is an interesting passage. And one of the reasons that I think that it's interesting, I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but God isn't mentioned in this passage. He's nowhere to be found in this passage. And that's interesting because if you remember what Amy read earlier from, from chapter 1, the Hebrew people are under great duress. They're under great opposition. And they need God's help. And they need it now. They need for God to show up. But yet it seems that God is nowhere to be found. It can feel that way sometimes, can't it? That when it seems that we most need God, sometimes it can feel like he's just not there. Or that he's not willing to act in the way that we would like for him to act. We expect certain things from God. And when he doesn't act in the ways that we'd like for him to act, that can lead us to a place of doubt. And if left unchecked, we can be tempted to move to a place even of distrust. Can you relate to that? Maybe you're in a place like that now. We can become frustrated with God when we want him to be at work. And especially if we want to see him work in a specific way. But we don't see his hand of action at work in our lives. And that question just seems to keep coming up in our minds. God, if you are a loving God, and if you really do have the power to fix this situation, then why aren't you? Where are you? 
Amy read earlier in chapter 1 that the Hebrew people had been so fruitful in their years in Egypt that they've increased so greatly that we're told that they fill the land. And so in response to that, a new pharaoh, one who didn't know Joseph, felt that he had to take some action against the Hebrews. So he came up with a solution to his problem. And do you remember what that first solution was? He said, I'm going to increase your labor. I'm going to put harsh taskmasters over you. That'll take care of you. But that didn't do the job. And so then he came up with a second answer to his problem. He tells the Hebrew midwives to kill every Hebrew baby boy as he's born. But that didn't work either because the midwives refused to obey his command. And then Pharaoh came up with a third solution. And it's an even more drastic solution. And Amy read about that in verse 22 of chapter 1. He instructed all the people of Egypt to participate in this battle against the Jews, commanding them, saying, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. And so the problem in this passage is obvious. And what we might expect from God would be a very straightforward response. But instead we get this story. We get this story about a Hebrew couple who conceive and give birth to a child in the midst of this great and and utter depravity of this evil leader. And we might look at that and and we might be tempted to say, God, why would you give us a story like this? But I think that one of the reasons he does, because in this story, he gives the Hebrew people in Egypt a picture of what faithfulness looks like in the midst of, adva- of, in the midst of adversity and doubt and hardship. And this picture is intended to show them and to show us as well that he is indeed a God who is at work. And that he's at work in unimaginable ways and in ways that we might never expect. And here it's important for us to remember that there's another decree that's present behind this story. This isn't just about Pharaoh's decree that every Hebrew boy should be murdered. But there's a far greater decree that came a long time before this Pharaoh's decree. And that's a decree that we read about on numerous occasions in our study of Genesis, where God promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that he would bless them, that he would make them into a mighty nation, that he would give them as many descendants as there were stars in the sky or grains of sand on the seashore, and that through them all the nations of the world would be blessed. And now as we come to meet this young Hebrew couple that we read about in verse 1, this man and woman have a decision to make. 
Will they heed the king's order or will they instead place their faith and submit to a different king, a king of heaven himself? Will they rest in God's promises or instead will they follow Pharaoh's decree? We see by their actions that they, re- that they rested in the fact that they knew that God was a God who was at work and they trusted that he would care for them. It didn't matter the circumstances around them. They said, God, we know that you care for us and we're going to be faithful in light of that. And that's what you and I have to understand as well. That regardless of what the circumstances are in our lives, God is a God who is at work. And he's a God who cares for you deeply. We're called to exercise faithfulness. And you know, sometimes I think that when we hear of that idea, we, we might be, be tempted to think, well, or, or we might be tempted to tell someone, you just have to have faith. You just have to trust God. And, and when we hear that, we might be tempted to think that that's a call to passivity, that we just trust. But that's not what we find in our passage today. Look at how this mother responds. Look at verses 3 and 4, and look how the mother responds to her situation. She doesn't respond with idleness or with passivity. But she takes the child and she hides him. And after three months when it's too difficult to hide this child, she has to come up with another plan. And so she takes a basket and she prepares it so that it would float on the water. And then she went and she found a particular place where she was going to set this basket at the riverside. She refused to just toss the baby into the river like Pharaoh had commanded her to do. But instead, she picked out a particular place to place her child. And in verse 4, we see that she sets her daughter off at a distance to learn what would happen to the baby. Faith isn't a call to idleness or passivity, but instead our faith is to be an active faith. And this woman is doing the best that she can with what she has before her. We're not called or enabled to figure out God's plans all the time. But we are called to live faithfully in the light of His promises. And we're called to walk forward in faith, trusting God regardless of whatever those circumstances might be that we find ourselves in. And God tells us that we're to live in faith, trusting Him, knowing that He does care for us, and that He has been, and that He'll continue to be at work in the world and in our lives in ways that we can never imagine or expect. Because the last thing that we should probably expect as the solution to a genocide, like we have here in Exodus 1 and 2, is a story about the birth of a child. But that's what the Lord gives us. He gives us this story about the birth of this little boy. What will happen to him? 
The author in verse 4 brings us into this story, and, and at this point in the story, he places us next to this little Hebrew girl hiding off in the distance. The author invites us to, to watch what's going to happen to this little baby in the basket. And then we get to verse 5. And there, the worst thing imaginable is about to happen next as we read the words, Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. And oh, by the way, there are a lot of people who are with her. And you see, that's a problem. That's a really big problem. Because the daughter of the one who's made this decree to kill every Hebrew baby boy is now walking down right to where that little boy has been placed at the side of the river. And then it gets worse because she spots the basket. She spots the basket and she sends one of her servant women over to the basket. And the servant girl walks over and she picks up the basket. And then she places it in the daughter of Pharaoh's hands. And right now we should really be calling out, God, where are you? God, this is a problem. This child is about to get pulled out of this basket and it will surely be thrown into the river by the daughter of the one who just commanded that that is what should be done. Where are you, God? Why aren't you doing anything to stop this? And then what happens? Pharaoh's daughter opens up the basket And she looks down into it, and she sees a baby. And the baby is crying. She sees a helpless baby who's at her complete and utter mercy. Again, why isn't God doing something here? But then the unexpected happens. And that though the baby is at the mercy of Pharaoh's daughter... Mercy is exactly what she extends. She has mercy on the child. The irony of this passage just leaves us marveling. And we walk away from this passage recognizing that God is at work. And God is at work in unimaginable ways. And the irony just keeps dripping off of these pages. And it, and it all makes this very point. And it's not just that she has mercy because in in verse 22 of chapter 1, remember, Pharaoh said that all the boys should be killed. But do you remember what he said about the girls? The girls, they were allowed to live. And so this Hebrew girl hiding in the bushes, this one whom Pharaoh said, you I will allow to live. Now she comes front and center in this story. And this girl who was positioned back far away hiding, now she leaves her place of hiding, and now she steps right up. And then the daughter of this Hebrew couple begins to collaborate with the daughter of Pharaoh about how this child who was supposed to be thrown into the river to drown will will now best be cared for. That's more than just a bit remarkable.
But that's the kind of God who cares for his people. But it doesn't stop there. The irony continues. It's not just that these two are collaborating on how to take care of the baby, but then Pharaoh's daughter says, yeah, and I'd really like for a nurse to take care of this baby. Go and get one of the Hebrew women to do that for me. And so this Hebrew girl goes and she gets her mother, the very mother of this baby in the basket. And that mother comes down again to the side of the river, to the very spot where she had earlier placed her child in the basket and set him among the reeds. And now the mother appears before Pharaoh's daughter and she receives back that which had been taken from her. And not only does she get her child back, but then what happens? Pharaoh's daughter says, oh, and I'll pay you to take care of this child. And so now you've got the daughter of the man who had commanded the death of this baby boy is now paying his own mother to take care of him. All of this proving to us once again that God works in amazing and unimaginable and unexpected ways. Through this Hebrew mother and daughter, God shows us of what a life of faithfulness looks like. Through the life of the mother, we see that a faith is required to be an active faith. And through the daughter, we see that a life of faith is required also to be a courageous faith. Think about it. This this little Hebrew slave girl had to show great courage to not only come out of her hiding place, but then to speak face to face with the princess of the very kingdom that's oppressing her people and whose father had ordered the murder of every male child, including her baby brother. That requires more than just a little bit of courage. But that's exactly what she did. She walked over and she intervened on behalf of this child. Again, that's what a life of faith looks like. A life of faith must be a life of courage. It's not one that that thinks that everything has to be all neat and tidy, all tied up in a bow, all of our expectations met. It doesn't require that. But what a life of faith requires is courage and strength of convictions to know and to trust that God will take care of you and that he's working for your good. That's what this story tells us. And it shouldn't matter what the circumstances are around us. And although they might be very hard, they might be very challenging, they might be very sad and tragic, but faithfulness means that we walk in courage and in trust, knowing that God is at work for our good and for his purposes. And we entrust ourselves to him. This is important for you and I to consider as people who live in families and in neighborhoods and who attend schools and who work in workplaces. There are people around us 
who don't know this God about whom this story is speaking about. And it takes courage for us to step out and to seek to make this God known to our friends and to our families, our neighbors, our co-workers, our fellow students. But that's our calling. It takes courage to be a man or woman of faith. And one thing that we should remember also is that a life of faith isn't just interested in our own good, but a life of faith is also interested in the good of others. The life of faith is to be an active faith and is to be a courageous faith. And we learn this from this story about the birth of this little Hebrew child. And you know, often we won't know what the results are from the actions that we take out of faith. That's certainly the situation in this story. Because this little Hebrew girl, for instance, who had the faith and the courage to step out of hiding to approach the daughter of Pharaoh, this little girl could never have known that this little boy would then grow up in the house of Pharaoh and that he would eventually become the leader of God's people. That wasn't expected. Let's think about this child who would grow up to become this leader. We get a sense of that in verse 10 when we're told that the child grew up, was brought to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She brought him into Pharaoh's household. She named him Moses because she drew him up out of the water. And as the story ends with the name of Moses and what that name means, that points to the salvation that God is going to accomplish for his people. As this child who will become this leader will lead his people into a salvation, a deliverance up out of Egypt and to the promised land. And can you imagine the shock that it will be to Pharaoh's daughter when she recognizes those many years later that her mercy to this child so long ago, that her mercy actually protected and cared for and educated this child who would grow up to become the very leader who would one day defeat her own people and even her own father. This passage points to one unmistakable thing that the Lord was working on on the behalf of his people, preparing them, preparing their circumstances for a very long time, even during those times when they couldn't see that his hand was at work on their behalf, working in ways that they could never imagine, working in ways that they could never expect. Even through the birth of this little Hebrew boy named Moses, who would one day lead the people of God out of Egypt, God is a God who is at work on the behalf of his people. That was true for his people when they were in Egypt. And friends, that's also true for you and I today. And if you ever doubt that, just consider the life of Jesus Christ. Because we see in the birth of this other Hebrew boy, the birth of this boy who would come to achieve an even greater deliverance than Moses did. 
Because you see, as great as the opposition was that the people of God were experiencing in Egypt, there's an even greater deliverance, an even greater oppression that we need deliverance from. Because every one of us needs to be delivered from our bondage to sin and from the guilt of our sin. For the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death and that God will not let the guilty go unpunished. And so God is going to give us another story about the birth of another baby. And he'll give us a story about his life and about his death and about his resurrection. He'll give us his son, his only son. And this son will grow up and live a sinless life and make atonement for our sin upon the cross. And the deliverance that he brings overcomes our natural alienation from God. And he brings us into a new relationship with the Father. And he then, through the power of his Spirit, enables us to live a life of faithfulness to God the Father. A life of dependence and trust and active and courageous faith. God will give us another story. And it's a story that he invites us to find our place in. And it's a story that's an unimaginable and an unexpected one. That a little Hebrew boy from the middle of nowhere would be raised up. And that he would then be raised up into heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father. So that you and I might live in him. So that the oppression that was in our hearts and in the world would be done away with. And this story, his story, is leading to a virtually incomprehensible conclusion. The restoration and the renewal of all things. And that's going to happen in ways that you and I could never imagine. And in ways that you and I would never expect. And so we leave here today knowing that God is for us. That he's not against us. And that he isn't sitting by idle or passive either. But instead, he's working all things together for his glory and for the good of his people. He's at work in the world. And he's at work also in and through you and me. Pray with me. Lord God, we thank you for this story. And we thank you for the story that you've invited us to find our place in. We thank you for your goodness to us, your goodness to your people, your faithfulness to your promises, your faithfulness to your people, your faithfulness to your purposes. And we thank you, Lord, for Jesus, this other little Hebrew boy, which one day would be, would be born. And Lord, we understand in the pages of Scripture that there would be those who would desire for his life to be snuffed out as well. And in his case, you allowed that to, be, to happen. He wasn't thrown into a river to drown, but he was hung upon a cross to die. And he died as a way to enable us to live. The decree from Pilate went out to kill him. 
You allowed for that to happen for a moment. But you showed us that you work in unimaginable ways by bringing him back from the dead. By raising him again to new life. And then welcoming him to your side in heaven. And just as unimaginable, you tell us that you will give us new life through him. Through faith in him. Lord, help us to trust in that promise. Help us to trust in you always. Help us to trust in your goodness. And help us to see that you are a God who is always at work, even when we might not be able to see it. Lord, give us this kind of faith, we pray. Amen.